0: Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. Welcome. We are in part three of our series called Close Encounters. That video freaks me out. Do y'all get the heebie jeebies when you watch that thing just a little bit? That kid had a weird freaky encounter. We're not talking about weird encounters, because if you look up, uh, you know, Close Encounters, if you just go Google that, you're going to get some weird alien story is what you're going to get. But we're talking about Close Encounters. Of the God kind. Because see here's what we believe. We believe that you have to experience God. That God was not meant to be just studied. The idea is not that you want to know about God. But you want to have experienced God yourself personally and all throughout the scripture you see this you see people having these incredible encounters with god from abraham we talked about him on week one hearing a voice from heaven or mary we talked about that last week having a conversation with an angel today we will look at a guy who well there's a talking bush involved and that's just weird you know it's one of those crazy stories from the bible where moses is talking to a bush that is on fire and he has this conversation and it changes everything because this is the ultimate thing that you see throughout scripture is everybody has a different experience experience they just do you notice that 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 whole talking bush thing that only happens once Jesus is the same way I mean Jesus even when he would heal people would be like sometimes he'd lay hands on them sometimes he'd just speak a word sometimes he made a spit mud pie and rubbed it in their face there's all kinds of weird stuff but even God's encounters with salvation he's just everything's different you know he talks to a woman at a well he goes, you've met Christ today. And then he, then he meets a tax collector and throws a dinner party and goes, you've met and experienced Christ today. Everybody's experience is different. But the one common denominator is this. Anyone who experiences the presence of God walks away changed. And that's what I want for you. I wish I could bottle up my personal experience with God and put it in the coffee and have us all drink it every Sunday. And I wish, I wish, But that's what I hope for you is that you go beyond knowing about God. And you go to experiencing God himself. And so let's take a look at this incredible story here. In Exodus chapter 3, this is how it goes. The Bible says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, and i got to go check that out. I will go over and see this weird, strange sight. Why does this bush not burn up? And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. Moses, Moses. And Moses said, well, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. The Lord said, I have, in, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And man, this is the whole story. The whole Old Testament really hinges really on this beginning story here. Like the whole identity of Israel is built on this story of here's a family that turned into a large group of people that was enslaved, but God was their deliverer and set them free. And that, that really launches their national identity. And here in, in this story, you have Moses working for his father-in-law. And then he sees a burning bush, which would not have been odd. Like when you're in the desert in the Middle East, out there, like it was common. It was so dry. It was so desert. It was so, it was common. The issue is not that you would see a bush that was burning, but he's like, why does it not burn up? So he's like, I got to go check this out. This is weird. And what gets even weirder is when the bush starts talking to you. And that's Moses encounter all of a sudden God and God sets up Moses for this incredible encounter and this incredible experience. And what Moses really shows you from his story is this is that experiencing God pushes you to abandon safe and live by faith. Let me say that again experiencing God. If you ever experience God's presence, it absolutely pushes you out of the safe zone and forces you to do something that would normally be uncomfortable. It might even be strange. I can't believe I'm doing this, but God, I'm trusting you. And he pushes you out to live by faith. Because if you know anything about the life of Moses, again, there's just this fantastic storyline that's going on that I want to share with you. And just kind of unpack this incredible story. Because there's three elements in the background of Moses' story that set this up to be actually quite remarkable. You see, God's trying to pull him out of safe. Well, because here's the deal. Safe will keep you, a few things. Number one, safe will keep you trapped in the past. See, a part of Moses' story is that a long time ago, Moses was in Egypt. Like, the whole story is is that Pharaoh was killing all the baby boys of Israel. So Moses' mom hides him in a basket, sends him downstream. He's picked up by Pharaoh's daughter. And then for 40 years, he lives in Pharaoh's palace. Like, he lives in Egypt as an Egyptian, not as a slave, not as an Israelite. And for 40 years, he lives this way. And one day... The Bible says he notices that a, an Egyptian is beating up one of his fellow Israelites. Now, this is what it says. Watch this. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out there or out where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. Why? Because he was up in the palace. Y'all know the difference between like living in the palace and working in the field? There, there, there's a difference there. So he had to go visit them. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. And look at this. This is what you call premeditated murder. Looking this way and that way and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and then went and hid him in the sand. So see what happens is, is that he decides now I'm in trouble. I've murdered somebody. I got to get out of town. That's why he ends up out in Midian. That's why he ends up eventually marrying a girl and working for his father-in-law because, well, he killed an Egyptian guy. And so I, there's something about his story that says, man. You don't deserve to do anything great for God. You're tainted. Like your history. Your past. Like the things that you've done. Because like normally when we think about a murderer, not an accidental, but like, a you know, kind of a premeditator. We don't usually think that this is a perfect candidate for somebody to do incredible. Just like to accomplish something incredible for the kingdom of God. That's normally not what we do. Now, I got a question. question. Are y'all like me in this I have these occasional flashbacks of my worst moments. Do you all do that? It's Okay, good. I I thought maybe I was weird, but now we're all weird. So the thing is, I, I have these moments. I have like two or three or four moments where I just did the dumbest thing or I said the dumbest thing. And I'll have flashbacks and I'll have this churning in my gut where I momentarily relive my dumbest moment. Are you all like that? Man, and it's in those moments that, like, I have to shake it off. Like, I, I don't, I don't dwell on it. I don't stay there. I don't let it cover me like a wet blanket. I don't do anything. But it comes back to me. And my fear for you is, is that when your flashbacks come, I don't want you to be like Moses. Think, no, no, no. I'm trapped in my past. If they only knew what I did. If they really knew the real me. If they knew what I did that nobody. If they really knew. But see, this is the thing. See, guilt says you're not good enough. But see, Christ says, well, I'm good enough and you're with me. So I know for me, like when I when I try to think about these things, what I do is is I just try to ever feel bad about my past. I just try to apologize, move on. I actually think of that as like a different person because the Bible says I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. Like I'm literally new. I don't know if you know this or not, but like your cells regenerate. Like every seven years, you basically have a brand new set of cells from the seven years. You're just a new creation all the time. But in Christ, you're this new creation. So whatever it is that you've got hanging in your past, there's something in about guilt that says, no, no, you're not good enough. You're not worthy. You'll never be able to if they really knew. And guilt tries to keep you kind of locked and trapped in your past. And God's trying to set you free. That's my encouragement to you this morning. Because my bet is this. You've probably done some jacked up stuff. Probably hadn't people, I hope. Right? Like, you've done some bad... Moses murdered a guy. You're probably better than Moses at this point in your life right now. So cheer up. Buck up, little buckaroo. God still wants to do a work in you and through you. Look at what the Apostle Paul says. Who Apostle Paul, funny enough, I don't know that he murdered anybody, but he sure condoned it and was celebrating it. Because... If you know his story, he was a guy who persecuted Christians and then had an experience with Christ and it changed him forever. And this is what he said. He said, brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it or have arrived. Like I haven't like achieved it. I haven't accomplished it. I haven't mastered this. I haven't figured it all out. But here's the one thing I do. I forget what's behind and I'm straining towards what is ahead. And here's what I strain and press towards. I press towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. That's it. This one, this one thing I know. Because Paul could have said, hey, I'm not worthy. Look at what I did. Look at how bad I was. He goes, no, 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 that's not how you live life. You don't live life trapped in the past. So whatever it is that you have, that you have your flashback moments and your gut churning, oh, I can't believe that. I want you to know you're forgiven in Christ Jesus. You're a new creation. And you are not your past. Somebody say amen to that. just want to encourage you this morning. You're not your past. Here's the next thing that I think safe does safe will keep you satisfied with today Because not only did moses have a past that he had to shake off But he had a present that he had to deal with as well because like here's the deal I remember for for two different church experiences when I worked there Both of the times and both of the churches I worked at I had to work alongside of or even work for the pastor's son or son-in-law So like, and I learned something because I remember back in Michigan, I was working for a church and I worked for the son-in-law and he was my best friend. I loved him. Like there's no animosity. Like I love this man. I would give him my kidney if he needed it. Like I love him, but he was the son-in-law and I noticed something. He could get away with anything. He could be preaching heresy. Nobody care. Like the youth pastor would always break something and make a mess or spend too much money. It didn't matter. Why? He's a son-in-law. You know what it is? The father doesn't care what the son-in-law does because he loves his daughter and just wants her to be happy and he wants her to be close. So the son-in-law can get away with anything. Because here's what happened. So the son-in-law left and he said, Todd, I want you to take over in my place. I'm moving to Georgia. And I took over and I realized very quickly, I'm not the son-in-law. I can't do whatever I want, say whatever I want, spin whatever I want. He it does not float that way anymore. So you gotta remember, like, Moses has this cush gig. Like it's this really easy situation. Plus, here's what you gotta do so Moses had been doing this job for 40 years. Now I'm like 40 years old, like this year. Can you imagine doing the same job for 40 years? Some of y'all maybe have. You know what happens when you do the same job for 40 years? You're on autopilot. You're on cruise control. You're on muscle memory. You're mailing it in. Stop it. You know you are. You're like, I've been doing this for forty years. I could do this blindfolded. I don't need nobody's help. So, so Moses is not only working for his father-in-law, but he's doing a job that he's been doing for forty years. It would be really easy to say, God, uh, no thanks. Like I'm about to inherit my father-in-law's business. I've been doing. I don't need this headache. I don't need the stress. I don't need the work, God. I don't have the time. Do you know what my? I just don't, God. I'm I'm busy. I got my own thing, and I'm I'm kind of hooked up. So why don't you go ask somebody else? But see, the problem is, is that being satisfied is problematic. See, God's wanting to, to to operate in this beautiful balance point where you're content and at peace and grateful with what God's given you, but yet still wanting more, desiring more and seeking more from God. There's this beautiful harmony here because if you settle and satisfy, the problem is, is that the best thing you'll ever end up with in life is average. You know what? If you ever looked at the, the Sermon on the Mount, there's actually a component to it where Jesus addresses the problem of average. Because the whole, the whole first half of the beatitude, or after the beatitudes, the whole first half of the sermon is this, you have heard it said of old, but I say to you, you know what he does? He addresses being average. Like he goes, look, look, look. You heard it said of old, like don't murder people. All right, that's good. You should do that. I'm telling you, like, guard the anger in your heart. What is he saying? He said, don't settle for anybody. He goes on later. He goes, you have heard it said of old, you know, love your neighbor. Do good to those who do good to you. He goes, that's average. That's average. I want you to love your enemy. He goes like, hey, don't, don't commit adultery. That's kind of like a, a, a thing that's pretty obvious. Like that, but that's average. Guard your heart from lust. He goes, be, be above average. Be so above and beyond. Because see, here's the problem with being average. The problem with being average is, is that you're just as close to the bottom as you are the top. And he goes, so don't satisfy. Don't just look at me. Cause this is the problem again. If you, if you just settle, you end up with like, An average marriage. You know, you might end up with an average career. You end up with an average walk with God. You end up with an average impact on the world around you. And Jesus is like, nah, be anything. Go so above and beyond. You've heard it said of old that average was good enough. But I'm telling you it's not good enough. That in me, you have what it takes to be well above and beyond average. Can I get an amen? Never never satisfy. Never get so never get so satisfied that you just mail it anymore, because if you truly experience God, He kicks you out of the safe zone and He forces you to live a life of faith okay well, one more in this realm of thought here, because this is the other component of moses life. not only does he have guilt from his past to worry about, a pretty cush gig in his present, he has a very fearful future ahead of him, and so being, being in the safe zone ultimately will make you afraid of tomorrow, and we know this to be true because. I love how the biblical authors write it. They because if I wrote my own story, I would only tell you the good parts, right? I would make myself look like Captain America. I'd just be a champ all the time. I don't have flaws. on I'm not telling you my bads. And this is the way, like the great emperors and leaders of the, of the world, is they would hire their own historians, and sometimes they would delete out their failures. Sometimes they deleted out their children, by the way, too. Like they had like four good kids and one crazy. Like that, don't even put them in there. So. The biblical authors don't do that. They just put it on front street. They're like, no, this is real. This is raw. Cause Moses' reaction, had I been writing the story, I would have been like, yes, Lord, and we will conquer Egypt and I'll kick Pharaoh's butt. Let's do this. Let's take on hell with a water gun. That's not what Moses does. It's not how the biblical authors present it. They basically let you know that Moses is afraid. Cause he has these three questions. His response to the talking bush is three questions. Who am I? What am I going to say? what if they don't believe me? Who am I? What does that tell you? He's still worried about his guilt. Like, who am I? I ain't nobody. I'm the murderer. I can't go back there. What are you talking? Who, who am I? What am I going to say? Like, I, I'm not equipped. I'm not resourced. I don't have what it takes. I don't. God, do you know who you're talking to? He later argues with God. He's like, hey, I'm not a really good speech giver. And he argues with God to the point that God finally is like, all right, fine. Just go get your brother. He'll speak. I'll tell him what to say. Just go. And then, and then, lastly, he, uh, this is and this is the very end too. The very end of it is this: is Exodus four thirteen. So he goes, "Who am I? What shall I say? What if they don't believe me?" And finally, at the end, verse thirteen. But Moses said, "Oh Lord, just just send somebody else. Just I'm afraid." And this was the problem that Moses ran into. He was afraid. But see, what you need to know is this: is that is that most of us think about faith and doubt as being opposites. That's not true. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. It's fear. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. It's fear. It's apathy. It's standing still. It's not moving. Because here's what I know about true, true about history and true about the biblical authors and true about everybody. That every person who ever did anything great for God did it while carrying their doubts with them. No, no, no. Everybody grabbed their doubts and just kept walking. That is the idea of faith in a nutshell. It's saying, no, no, I got all my doubts. I got, it's, it's being locked up by your fears and saying, no, that's the opposite of faith. And this is what Moses is, is on the hinge of, is, is resisting God with his fears. But if you know the story, okay, spoiler alert, let me give it away here. Moses trudges through all of his fears and all of his doubts. He overcomes his satisfaction and he overcomes his guilt. And he doesn't do it easily and he doesn't do it overnight. He kind of trudges through it all. And then, of course, we know that he does go to Pharaoh. That God does lead his people out of Egypt, out of slavery, and eventually into the promised land. Now, the writer of Hebrews says something really interesting. So what's really cool is anytime you can find the New Testament authors commentating on the Old Testament, they have brilliant insight. Listen to what this, listen to how this thing, whole, whole thing turns. Because what the writer of Hebrews does is, is he gives you this incredible encouragement from his observations on the life of Moses. Are you ready? To check this out. Encouragement number one is this. He really notices, like, this is the author of Hebrews. He knows this to live by faith. Recognize that God has already done a work in you. So as, as the author of Hebrews, and this is my observation as well, when you look at Moses' life, you're like, wait a minute. Why are you so afraid, Moses? You, God has been at work in you your whole life. I'll prove it to you. Watch this. It says this, Hebrews eleven twenty three. 23. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was what? No ordinary child. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. edict. So the writer's saying, look, you need to know this. Like, God was always at work. Moses' life was born in incredible fear, incredible uncertainty, chaos. Like when Pharaoh's killing all the baby boys, there's just incredible fear surrounding the whole situation. But the parents, this is no ordinary kid. Think about his whole life. So you send him in a basket down a stream. Moms, look at me real quick here. Can you imagine your brand new baby boy put him in a basket. Good luck out there, little guy. Y'all would be tore up. What incredible faith that she had. And God doesn't allow him to be eaten by alligators or crocodiles or whatever weird animals. And not only does he not get eaten up by some crocodiles, he ends up being found by Pharaoh's daughter. And he's, and he's raised. Wait a minute. The guy that was trying to kill him God orchestrated it so he was raised in that guy's house having the greatest education and the greatest of privileges and the greatest of what an incredible we would be shaking Moses by the robe (laughs) like bro God has always been with you. From the beginning, there's no reason to fear. Don't you see God's had his hand all over you your entire life? And here's what I know about you. If you will look into your past, you will see the hand of God all over your life. You'll be like, look look at what God did here. You know, I didn't think about it at the time. And sometimes the most painful experiences God uses to redeem and to, 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 to make new or to challenge or to change or to shift or to shape you. And if you look into your past, you'll be like, look at what God did. I didn't even know at the time I didn't see that. At the time, I just felt the fear. But now I see God had been orchestrating it all. And here's what you can't see too. What you can't always see being orchestrated is what God saved you from and protected you from. You don't know what all he's done. But here's the deal. You're no ordinary child. Your life has already been marked. I'll prove it to you. Do you know that one night your mom and dad got together and there was a twinkle in his eye. And there was a Marvin Gaye soundtrack in his head. I don't know what, ladies, goes through your mind. I can only tell you from a man's perspective. But there was a, there was a moment where mom and dad got together. It, it, it says stuff like this. And Adam knew Eve. You know, we'll just go with the. So your daddy knew your mommy. And in that moment, when you know biologically what takes place, what you need to know is this. Is that... When your dad and mom got together on that faithful, wonderful evening, that literally there were one point five million little guys or little girls swimming to a finish line, and you, in the race for your life, beat out one point five million others. You're, you are you are a born winner. This is who you are. You beat for the, in the race for your life. You beat out one point five million people. Floyd Mayweather's only beat fifty some dudes. You same Bolt, when he races, he only has to beat eight dudes. Steph Curry only has to beat four teams to win a championship on any given year. You beat 1.5. You were born a winner. I used to play softball, and I stunk at it. But I played with this really good player. He, he, was, a, he was a former professional. Do you remember this name? We played together on this team, and we were both terrible. But, um, but this guy was really good. He played second base for us, and he used to play for the Atlanta Braves. And he would always give us like a little pregame little pep talk. And you know what he would tell us? I don't know if you remember this name. He would say, look, you guys are already champions. Now go be yourself. That stuck with me my whole life. Go be yourself. Discover who you are in Christ Jesus. Now go be yourself. You're already a champion. You're already an overcomer. You're no ordinary person. Now go be yourself. Somebody say amen to that. I told you I just wanted to encourage you this morning. So... More encouragement from Moses, from the author of Hebrews. To live by faith, refuse to be defined by anything but God. Refuse to be defined by anything but God. Hebrews 11, 24 says this. This is by faith. Moses, when he had grown up, he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Let me summarize that. He experienced God's presence and it changed him forever. But at the very beginning, it says this. He refused to be known. I don't know about you, but this again, this, this goes back to Moses eventually overcoming his own past and his own guilt. He refused to be known. No, no, no. See, my wife has this thing about like healthy foods and even healthy products. Do you all have a wife like this? Or maybe dudes, maybe there's one of y'all like this. Um, you, care about, you care about what's on the label, right? Like my wife doesn't buy anything without reading the label because she's all about like, no, that's a toxic. No, that's a dye. That's a thing. That's a, a, that's a GMO. I mean, there's all kinds of weird stuff. I don't even know what she looks at. I just know that she reads the labels because the labels are important because you got to know what's, what's on the label. You got to know what you're, what you're ingesting apparently. But I would say the same thing is true about life. Be careful of the labels, be weary of the labels in life because I don't know about you, but when I was younger, I got labeled at times. I've told you some of my stories. I got labeled as like stupid or I got labeled as a troublemaker. I got labeled as... Remember my fourth grade teacher? Todd, the only thing that comes out of your mouth is verbal diarrhea. That's what he told me. Now I preach the gospel. So... So, so sometimes in life you get labeled as not good enough, as not capable, as not having what it takes. Again, this is this is the rebuttal to all of his fears that God, who am I? What am I going to say? And I, I don't have what it takes. See, here's the thing. At some point, Moses had bought into labels and he had to let God relabel him. And here's my, this is my practice in life. Is any time that I read scripture, I find especially in the New Testament, God labeling me redeemed. God labels me forgiven. God labels me as his workmanship. God labels me as his child. As his, so God keeps labeling me. And anytime any of you come along and you encourage me, I just ask, does it match what God has labeled me? And if it does, I'm like, thank you for your encouragement. And if anything comes along that doesn't match the label that God's given me, I just reject it outright. I'm just like, I'm sorry. That ain't me. I'm sorry. That's not, that's not who labels me. That's not who I am. No, no, you can keep that. I love you. You're living out of your brokenness, but I don't, I don't receive that because you didn't read the label. So Moses refused to be labeled by his past or by his peers or by other people and ultimately allowing himself to be labeled by God. Last thing is this, and I'll close. If you're taking medicine, it's 12.03 and we're doing great. Last encouragement from Moses. Is the clock wrong? Yeah, that'd be bad if it was 12.03. That'd be like one of those sermons where Paul preached so long that somebody fell asleep, fell out the window and died. I don't know if I can bring you back, so be careful. Um, Last one. It it does say 12.04 on my clock, and I'm too old to read that clock in the back. Last thought is this. It's so good. Last encouragement from Moses. To live by faith impacts others around you. I'll prove it to you. Hebrews 11.28 says this. It says, by faith. Moses kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel and by faith the people. Ever say the people? So so what did Passover do? It saved the people. What What did Moses participate in? The deliverance of the people. By faith the people passed through the Red Sea on dry ground, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. The walk away is, again, is that if you experience God, he pulls you out of the safe zone, pushes you out into like an uncomfortable. Maybe you're faced with your fears. Maybe you have to drag your doubts with you. But he keeps pushing you forward into something way above average. And what you do is, is if you've done this long enough, you get down the road and realize, oh, it wasn't even about me. I thought God was trying to do something in me and God was trying to build my faith and God was trying. And He was. But it was so much bigger than that, that actually it wasn't just about you. It was about so many other people around you. See, the reality is this, is that what you're going through, what God's doing in you, one day will become your story. It will become your testimony. And if you'll walk with God long enough, and if you'll keep dragging your fears and your doubts and just drag them with you and you keep experiencing God and you keep doing what God's called you to do, here's what's going to happen. You're going to see people around you who are also experiencing God because of what you've done, because it's all connected. Or we can say it like this. One day, someone is going to hear your testimony and borrow your faith to use it for their own victory. See, here's the deal. Someone's counting on you. You don't even know it yet. You might not have even met them yet, but someone's counting on you. It might be your kids. It could be a future friend. It could be somebody you're in a small group with one day. Somebody's counting on you. Keep walking by faith. Keep walking with God. Keep trusting your heavenly Father. And if you do, not only will it change your life, but it's going to change the lives of people around you. Can I get an amen? Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at mbchurch.tv.